Hi there, and welcome to Axelbank Reports History and Today Conversations with America's top nonfiction authors and why their books matter right now. I'm Evan Axelbank, and today we're going to speak with Vincent DiGirolamo, the author of Crying the News A History of America's Newsboys. He's a professor at Baruch College in New York City. He's a former newspaper reporter, documentary maker, and young adult novelist. Welcome to the show, Dr. DiGirolamo. Thank you. Thank you, Evan. Before we start our interview, I do want to invite listeners to our Patreon page to ask for your support in keeping the show going. Go to patreon.com slash History. We're going to donate part of your contributions to a charity for children's literacy. Extra, extra, read all about it. You probably have an image of a young fellow with smudges on his face, inky hands, waving newspaper at people, walking by, doing whatever they can to sell newspapers. And you might think to move America forward. And you're not necessarily wrong. But what Dr. DiGirolamo argues is that the story of America can be told through its newsboys and how our news is delivered to us. So, Professor, why did we need a whole book to understand who those boys were, and were they mostly boys, by the way, and why they had to sell newspapers in the way that they did? Okay, why newsboys? I mean, that's the essential question. One, one simple answer is that I didn't think there was a book that did that. I didn't think there, there was David Nassau, there was some uh, uh, chapter length and, and, and uh, uh, look, you know, people looking at newsboys. Uh, there was the great literature of Horatio Alger and the pulling oneself up by the bootstraps image of newsboys. So they were kind of these uh, uh, cliched figures, if you will. I felt that uh, we could look at newsboys and it would be sort of a history of newsboys would be the history of the working class writ small. Right. First of all, it's, it was the most common form of boy labor next to farm work, uh, th- you know, from the 1830s onward. So we're talking about the majority of kids, the urban kids, as well as as well as small town kids as well, engaged in this in this kind of uh, work. Uh, the newspaper industry had kind of shaped the story and the and the, uh, you know, all the presidents were newsboys and this is this is the way to learn good uh, values to build your character and so that that uh, sort of story narrative dominated and I thought uh, sort of going into graduate school discovering the history of childhood going coming into graduate school as a labor journalist and, a, and and in the history of labor I thought that the newsboys would be an interesting topic um, to look at child labor, the role these children played in their family economies, the role they played in the newspaper industry, and in, and in shaping our ideas about capitalism, character, and upward mobility, and all of these things. So I thought they would be a, a vehicle in which I could get at a lot of different topics. How and when did you decide that these kids had been given the short shaft when it comes to America's entire story? And why did they get that short shaft? Why was there so little literature written about them? Well, first of all, I think um, children, like women, like African Americans, like working people, like uh, illiterate immigrants and, 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 and sharecroppers, they weren't considered to be people who made history, who had interesting stories to tell, right? History happened to them. 
And so, of course, I am uh, inspired by the new social history of the 1960s and 70s, uh, labor historian Herbert Gutman, trying to look at the history of the articulate, inarticulate, uh, so-called inarticulate, and try to read the sources and get their voices. I have been very much inspired by this kind of uh, history from the bottom up, and I thought that the children were uh, a relatively untapped uh, 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 source of of information and their perspectives about how they uh, how they saw the world, how they experienced the world, uh, and so I wanted to get their voices and their perspective into the story. How did the first news? And let's go back to the beginning. Um, how did the first newspapers in America work? Who was printing them? Where were they being printed? And how did they get them to readers? Well, this, this goes back to the colonial era before the revolution. And there were, there were uh, you know, newspapers that were founded in the, in the colonies, uh, uh, Boston, New York, early, early newspapers. Uh, and, and they were primarily uh, distributed through the mail. Uh, you also had post writers, adults, and some young people who would, who would distribute them. You had subscribers um, uh, creating kinds of, uh, of, of cooperatives in which somebody would take responsibility for circulating, so the post was the number one means, and people would just go to the go to the shop, and then also you had, and this goes back to the Benjamin Franklin uh, kind of a myth, the founding uh, uh, newsboy, the founding uh, editor and publisher, and and sort of. Uh, patron saint of, of journalists, Benjamin Franklin, uh, he, he distributed, as an apprentice, he distributed his brother's newspaper. And, um, and so apprentices, uh, printer's devils, who would help in the shop and try to learn the trade, they would also be tasked with, uh, with distributing papers, not usually crying them, hawking them, but just delivering them to subscribers. In terms of the first one, Benjamin Franklin, of course, is always considered the, the first one in the uh, 1720s. Uh, but I did come across a, a, a New York newspaper uh, in the New York Historical Society, uh, which says, uh, you know, Bradford Slave uh, gave me this paper. Uh, uh, Bradford's Negro gave me this paper. And so in some ways, I have shown that this new selling was kind of an entrepreneurial thing. It was a, it was, it was a, a thing, uh, an activity engaged in by apprentices. It was also uh, slaves in this early period and also in the 1840s and 50s, slaves were hired to actually distribute paper. So all these various labor systems uh, are uh, uh, called into uh, uh, service for for this work. One really interesting point that the book makes is that in many cases, in some cases, um, certainly maybe depending on when we're talking about what period in American history we're talking about, but one really interesting thing is that the newsboys themselves couldn't necessarily read what they were selling. Who were the newsboys? Well, the newsboys were the lower working class. They were native born, but also new immigrants, Irish, German, Irish dominated sort of in the early 1830s, 40s in New York. Um, and they were the children of, of uh, uh, manual laborers for the most part, uh, teamsters and, and uh, sometimes uh, uh, saloon operators, uh, later on policemen. So they were, they were children of the working class, immigrant working class. Uh, literacy rates in the United States were quite high compared to Europe and, and other countries. Uh, but but, uh, but there, were, there were children who couldn't read. And we see, although we see uh, printers teaching them how to read, we see um, 
Um, also newspapers opened their own schools in the later 19th century. Um, and we also see, uh, um, I remember reading about a, 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 a memoir. He said, you know, you could not tease someone who couldn't read. That was crossing the line. You could tease them about his big nose. You could tease them about anything. But if you could, you, if you tease somebody about being, you would, you would, uh, about not being able to read, you'd lose your friends. Uh, and, and so, um, so there were some illiterate uh, children, but children also talked about they learned to read through the papers that they carried, especially the immigrants. The first words I learned were Times, Journal, you know, and, and calling the headlines, not knowing anything uh, about what the contents of those papers were. So it's part of the history of literacy is, this, is, the, is the, the newsboys and the newspapers. What was their day like? Let's, uh, you know, if I could, if you could take me on a journey with them, if you could take me on a, uh, you know, if I could watch them, if I could shadow them for a day, um, what was the deal they had with publishers in terms of how many papers they had to sell? What techniques did they use to sell newspapers? And I would imagine that their alarm clock, if they existed back then, went off very, very early in the morning. Uh, yes. Well, the, the answer to this shifts over the, the, the decades. And I try to show how the industry changed, how transportation technology changed, all of which affected uh, the way newspapers were distributed. So the answer is different from each period, but there is a lot of continuity. Uh, and, and to answer the first question, that, that yes, there were, there were girls. They were usually a minority of the, of the population, but they were there first uh, reference into the 1850s. And some, of course, some girls would dress as boys to avoid problems and conflicts and what have you. Um, so what did their day look like? Uh, and, and of course, most of these children lived at home and worked as part of this family enterprise, but there were homeless uh, children as well, uh, particularly in the 1850s, 1870s, 1890s, these periods of economic panic. Uh, this was a, a means of subsistence living for children and adults uh, during these hard times. Uh, so, you know, you talk about getting up in the morning. Uh, uh, there were two breeds of newsboys, two, two, you know, those who, who got up in the morning and, and maybe mainly delivered to subscribers and those who worked later and even to late into the night who hawked on the, on the streets. And many of uh, many boys did both. Many children did both of those things. Um, but in terms of getting up in the morning, uh, I think uh, the cheap alarm clocks were first invented in the 1880s. They were, they were widely available. Uh, but before that, children would have to, uh, you know, rely on a parent to, to wake them up. They, um, one one boy captured a sparrow, put it by his window, and when the sparrow would cheat, he would, he would, uh, That's he would smart. yeah. And um, and uh, what else? So uh, you know, drink a lot of water at night, so you have to you, you wake yourself up. Uh, so there were there were tricks of the trade, and they would and they would double talk about the, the, the diverse labor. They would they would be um, would call knocker boys, and that, that not only would they deliver the paper, they'd knock on the on the on the subscriber's door in the morning to wake him up. Or her up, so uh, so so you know alarm clock. Yes, part of the technology of newsboys. Um, mainly in the early days, you'd have to go to the newspaper. So children would, and and if you were homeless, you would sleep in the alleys. You would sleep uh, in the newspaper office themselves, under the tables, in in mail bags, uh, uh, places like that. And newspapers thought they were doing a, a a humane service by providing a place for these homeless people to sleep, but also you know making them make sure that they were on hand because you, you if you had a newspaper and an issue and nobody to distribute it you weren't going to sell many copies 
Um, so you could wake up, uh, you know, in a barrel on a hog's head, you know, by the waterfront, go to the newspaper office, uh, look at the headlines, see what the news was, see if you wanted 10 copies, 20 copies, 30 copies. Um, you would pull your money. Sometimes uh, you could get credit. Uh, uh, from a newspaper if you didn't have the ready cash or from a distributor they were they were middlemen and middle boys who who, who uh, uh, sort of uh, commandeered the labor of their of their pals um, and then and then you had your your turf and your and your your most productive places what I found interesting is that there was this whole underground economy under underground real estate economy they bought and sold corners streets you know in front of this building in front of that building uh and and you know in some cases philadelphia the the newspapers tried to control this but in other places it was just among the dealers themselves uh and so you would go to your turf and you would you would you would sell there you would protect it from other interlopers if that was happening at that moment um and you would uh approach people and and with your cry many of these kids had distinctive cries um and um, and why did you call it crying the news? I called it crying the news because um, I just thought it was a little double entendre in the sense in the sense there's a, a certain tragic element to the to the to the story. But mainly, I wanted to to, to call attention to this uh, human form of distribution in which you're actually not just filling the market, you're creating the market, you're creating the, uh, the uh, desire to buy with your cries. And the cries were sometimes, uh, you know, as I point out, exaggerated headlines, out and out false headlines, um, or, or whatever the kids thought would be the most uh, uh, attractive story of the day. So this, I wanted to get into the oral uh, uh, dimension of the city, the, the soundscape of the city, and newsboys' cries, w w like with other vendors and street hawkers and vehicles, they were part of the sound of the city. And so that's a that's an aspect that I that I try to develop in the book as well. Before I before I ask the question about whether these kids were part journalists too, because certainly this is you know um, their work crossed into the aspect of interpreting the news and how they could sell newspapers. But um, I want to ask. Before I ask that, where did the first newsboys work? I imagine um, their work was more effective in New York, Philadelphia, Boston, as opposed to, say, um, Broome County, New York, uh, uh, with all due respect to our listeners there. Um, well, you know, New York City is the sort of birthplace of the penny press. And so that is where the first... Uh, uh, sort of prototypical newsboys worked. Uh, Barney Flaherty, I have their names. Uh, the New York Sun, of course, comes out in 1833, and it cost a penny. So this is, a, this is a, a, as opposed to the six cents blanket sheets, which really were just appealed to the merchant class and had merchant news. But the, the, the first pennies that tried to uh, attract a, a working class audience, wide audience, were these penny newspapers. And, uh, and so New York, uh, Lower Manhattan, the waterfront, the, this was the uh, 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 the birthplace of the of the, uh, the news trade, if you will, in this way, it it, it travels to Baltimore, Philadelphia, uh, right away, and but then also in the early days, Springfield, Massachusetts, these places that you think are not uh, you know uh, metropolitan centers, also had newspapers and also uh, would would uh, uh, employ boys and 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 the news and and the New York papers these kids would get on the ferries and they would go up to Albany they would go to, to Schenectady they would go to uh, uh, 
Philadelphia and other cities. And so there was quite a wide uh, uh, distribution of, of newspapers from New York. What was it about the news that made it perfect for a remote salesman? What kinds of stories sold best? Um, and I'll, give, I'll, I'll jog your memory a little bit here. Uh, your book opens with newsboys reporting on the Revolutionary War, then on the Civil War, then on the Spanish-American War, and then a boxing match, which is kind of the same thing. Um, we're newsboys onto something that cable news has learned very well, that journalism sells best when it's conflict-oriented. Well, uh, absolutely. I mean, we have political conflicts and we have, we have uh, um, you know, local conflicts, sports. So uh, newsboys really had their own kind of a new sense. And I remember, you know, sometimes it would be a, you know, a congressional act, a law passed, but they would, they would have a story about a, a two-headed calf that was born. And so they would go, they would go with the sensational. Um, newspapers, of course, the publishers, they had a great appreciation of the sensational, uh, the Helen Jewett uh, uh, murder trial, prostitute murdered in, in New York in the 1830s. Uh, and so this became a huge seller uh, and, and newsboys were, were part of that. Also, we have in the early days, we have these uh, hoaxes, right? Whether it's the moon hoax, a scientist discovers life on the moon, these naked bat-like creatures live in caves, fornicate in public, you know, completely, complete fabrication. Newsboys would, would run with that. And what was interesting is that the newspaper wasn't, wouldn't be discredited and, and lose all credibility uh, after that. It would still, it would, oh, that's part of, the, part of the bamboozlement of the, of the age. So that was, uh, that was part of it. And then that story would be on Broadway, would be on it, would be in a play. And, and, and so they were part of the popular culture as well. I think it's important to remember when it comes to journalism, the 1850s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and then even into the 1900s, the journalism was essentially terrible. I mean, you know, the journalism was very yellow and the journalism was very sensationalized. And, um, you know, we, we need to not look back on those times as if there was a Chet Huntley or something like that. And, you know, we can, we can debate the 1950s and 60s, but certainly, you know, the, the journalism of the day was very partisan, even more so than it is now. And so I just think it's important that we put in context the types of the, the type of news that these kids were selling. Um, uh, when does the business hit its heyday? When is the business both both most efficient and lucrative for the newsboys, and also in terms of getting information to the public? I use that word heydays when in my chapter yelling the yellows in the 1890s. And here we have mass circulation, right? We have some of the, the Hearst and Pulitzer papers with the various editions, they're selling a million copies a day, a million copies a day in some cases. And this is, you know, if you sell a million pencils a day, whatever, that is a lot. A million of anything is a lot. A million of anything is a lot. And, and um, so and to, to me, that was the, the heyday. You also, of course, had the big influx of, uh, of Southern and Eastern European immigrants beginning in the 1880s and 1890s. So the streets, you know, boiled over with children. There was all kinds of, uh, of, of labor power there available for them to use. We had the, we had the department stores and advertising took off as a, in a big way. Um, and again, the papers were one, two cents. They, they were cheap. And so, uh, 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 you know, people talk about all oh, social media, you know, now people in the old days, they don't know, they don't know what it was like. But, you know, these newspapers were a kind of social media in the sense that they were pervasive and part of the culture and visual uh, and lucrative. 
right? The Bill Gates and the and the and the Steve Jobs, they were the Hearst, the Pulitzers, um, the 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 media moguls of those periods were the political uh, um, uh, power movers of the, of their day. How does well? Let me. Ask, how how do the newsboys do? How how much money do they make? Do they, um, does it start to be a lucrative business for them? I and mean, when you say they made a lot of money, that's all relative to how much I probably the publisher is making. Um, so how, um, how does the story of labor start to get intertwined with the story of the newsboys themselves? Um, it, it really starts quite early in that the newsboys sort of identify themselves as part. I mean, they're, they're, they are children of working people. And so as their older brothers and fathers start to organize, they organize as well. And they adopt the language uh, in the 1840s is the first uh, strike and, and they have, you know, um, grievances committees and, and uh, uh, indignation parades and they, and they engage in this kind of activity that they see other workers engage in. And so this continues in the 1850s and 60s. There's a strike in the 60s uh, among newsboys who deliver to the, to the soldiers and, uh, and, the, and the officers call it a, a mutiny and they, they send the boys right out, right out of the, uh, the front lines. Um, so there's an, and then post uh, civil war, the Gilded Age and the rise of the Knights of Labor and all that, the children are, are part and parcel of that. There are the, the, the young Knights of Labor. They're part of the AFL. They get some, in some cases they get, they get charters. They're part of the uh, um, um, industrial workers of the world in the early 1900s. So they're striking, they're, they're protesting, they're demanding a better, a better cut, a, a better ratio of the, uh, uh, of the, of the profits. Uh, they're, they're, they're protesting work rules. They're doing all of these things. And it's a real boom or bust sort of situation for them. Do they make it? Yeah. Oh, so do, they, do, do they make enough money to live decent lives? Uh, I don't know about decent lives, but uh, when the founders of the of the uh, newsboy lodging houses first in the 1850s, 53, they talk about well, they need they need about you know 80 cents a day, and they they can make about they can make this, uh, and so I have different figures in different periods, um, and it's so six cents for them to stay at the lodging house, and they get uh, 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 meals they can get at these cheap refractories or or or, or street uh, street carts, the equivalent of street carts, uh, uh, and so. Um, so some are, some are able to um, again uh, recruit other boys, and there is big money to be made in newspaper distribution. The American News Company, which was the equivalent of Standard Oil in terms of its uh, octopus-type reach over the, uh, uh, the the trade, they could make or break a, a publication by refusing to to to, uh, to to distribute it or not. And so these were some of these were actually uh, newsboys who started out, and then and then and then were able to found newspaper distribution agencies. So I call that the tiers of the trade, and looking at the subsistence living which was quite common, uh, a little more, you know, uh, spending money, and then, and then those who made millions, and lots of turnover. Lots of people just decided there's no money in this, and they just got out of it. Do we know the names of newspapers that use newsboys? Are they still around? Times, Daily News, New York Post, Philadelphia Inquirer? Uh, yes, all, all of those use newsboys. Everyone use, use newsboys. Um, a few at the very beginning said, "No, we can't. We can't disgrace ourselves with that kind of <laughs> pandering and 
groveling for for uh but they they quickly caught on um and and same with the with the yellow journalists other people started to jazz up their stories and 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 to and to uh to make newspaper distribution not just this haphazard thing which the man in the basement sort of doled them out and took care of it circulation management uh, really started as a profession in the, in the Midwest, in the papers of Chicago, Detroit, Cincinnati, Cleveland. And uh, how many would be on the street in a given day? You know, you, it, let's take, you know, let's just take New York because it's a city that I know and a city that a lot of people know. How many would be out there in a day? And would they, I would assume they would be competing against each other to sell their own newspapers, yeah. to sell the newspapers that, uh, that they work for, and then also to claim territory, and then also to find the areas in all the five boroughs where people are likely to buy news, bus stops, uh, ferries, subway stops, things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, circulation figures are often sort of uh, exaggerated, but we, I do have it from their reports, from reformers' reports, from municipal authorities who are counting newsboys, and of course, realize they're difficult to count. Uh, but in the various uh, periods, you have New York, Philadelphia, we have, we have 300, we have 500. And in the 1890s, we have 10,000 in New York City. No, we have, we have, we have 20,000. And, and so uh, the numbers are, are uh, not completely reliable, but they do, go, they'll go, they do uh, show Buffalo, 700, uh, sometimes small towns, uh, you think it's a small town. They have 1,200, they count. Um, again, it's casual labor. Some people do it regularly. Some people do it only when the headlines are big. Um, so it's, it's a little uh, uh, um, hard to be precise about it. But they do, in the progressive era, they do hand counts. People, people go around and, and they, and they uh, um, interview and, 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 and count the number of kids. So we are talking hundreds and then thousands in, in, in medium-sized cities and large cities. So at what point do they start their decline? Uh, there are very few newsboys in most American cities today. Um, I don't spend a whole lot of time in places like New York, Philly, or Chicago, uh, or Boston. But um, when, do, when do we start to see drop-offs? What do newsboys have to start competing against? And I'm just going to throw a few things out there. You can certainly correct me. Is it radio? Is it TV? Is it more, uh, more efficient transportation? What starts their decline? Uh, I would say that the decline of the newsboy starts um, maybe in the, in the 30s. There's still plenty of kids on the street in the 30s, but there's adults on the streets, right? Instead of uh, selling apples, you're selling newspapers. So it becomes competitive there. Um, and then in the 18, uh, 1940s as well, World War II, you start to get, um, um, there's still kids on the street, but uh, stands, and uh, a, a newsstands uh, take uh, sell a, a larger number of newspapers. You do get uh, competition radio, uh, which 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 gives people the the spot news, uh, and that's in the thirties and forties. But it, it starts to take a little effect in the forties. Child labor laws. I find that they, that didn't really reduce it. Early 1900s, 1910s, you get the first child labor laws, but they're they're applied mainly to other industries, uh, you know, uh, uh, textile mills and mines and things like that. So as children are being pushed out of those those op- op- occupations, 
they go into the streets, which are relatively unregulated because, because you're not really technically an employee as a newsboy. You just go buy papers and sell them. And so the newspapers say, well, well they're not employees. We can't, we don't, those laws don't apply to us. So they're still increasing even in the 1920s, 1930s. Uh, and then as the, as the, uh, um, I guess the industry changes in terms of it gets more rationalized. There's still kids up until the 1950s, 60s, again, mainly as carrier boys, uh, you know, delivering routes. Many of your listeners were newsboys. Um, my friends, you know, did sold uh, distributed newspapers, had, had paper routes when they were, when they were kids. Uh, but this starts to, to die off in the 70s and 80s uh, because newspapers as a whole are suffering from uh, um, lack of circulation, lack of uh, readership, uh, competition from the internet, uh, things like that, not to mention uh, there are, there's some high profile kidnappings and, uh, and there's other fast food, there's other way so children are really um some newspapers just you know cut them off in the in the 80s and we're, we're only doing adult labor and their adults in some ways are more efficient they have their own cars they absorb the insurance and the cost and uh and so children we see we see them really uh out of the out of the hawking in sort of the 40s and then out of the actual distribution and delivery in the in the 80s when I was growing up, there were occasional newsboys. I grew up uh, in the Bronx, but I walked to the subway every day to go to high school. Um, and I remember in, I believe it was the summer of 2004, a very smart newswoman. She was, uh, you know, she was a, probably a middle-aged woman who figured out that she could sell a bunch of newspapers. And so every morning I would uh, get to the 238th Street stop, which is, it's part of the L, the elevated train. And so we would, uh, I would walk up three or four flights of stairs and she'd be waiting at the bottom of them with three or four newspapers. And I never forget how she gave them to me. She would fold them up very neatly and kind of crisply so that I could put them under my arm or put them into the bag um, that I was carrying. Uh, at what point do, um, at what point does our culture start to collide with this idea that, I can just sit on the subway and read my newspaper. And when I get to work, I get to work. When does it collide with that? Uh, well, the, the commuter trade is, is uh, the, the trade, uh, you know, starting in the, in the, you know, first quarter of the 19th uh, century. Uh, so, so, uh, so they're providing this service. They're going, they're, they're going on train on, Trains, in fact, railroad newsboys are a whole sort of subspecies where, you know, cross transcontinental, there's boys who specialize selling on those trains. And then this, the, the streetcars and what have you, um, uh, they're providing a big service. In fact, some of those early laws in New York, uh, you know, child labor laws, uh, the judges throw them out. They're providing a service. I like to see a, a kid in the subway. I like to get my newspaper. Um, and also, in some ways, the dealers, the subway newsstand, they, they don't want the kids there. So they're the ones who are, who are uh, uh, trying to I was going to ask about newsstands. I was wondering, because they've got so many newspapers, and, and I certainly miss newsstands. Aren't they wonderful? Um, and I would imagine them, they would be an, uh, a, 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 um, a significant competitor to one kid standing there with one newspaper, uh, you know, one brand of newspaper. Oh yes, and, and they hired girls, uh, young girl, young women to, uh, to to tend these stands, and they uh, and the, these women struck as well. And the trade union leagues in New York would would, would go to bat for them and and uh, demand that they had lunch breaks and what have you. Um, so so again, that's just 
the, the part of the tiers of the trade, the different different kinds. Um, but I think uh, so. I'm not sure what you mean by colliding with the with the commuter, but but uh, the, the, these newsboys, these children and adults, they're they are really catering to this big traffic, and 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 it's part of the rhythm of the city. I'll 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 sell before school, you know, when the commuters. I'll sell after school when the people are going home, uh, and so that's part of the uh, the pulse of the city is these these uh, the commutes and the and the opportunity to sell. To no, you got it. That, that's a perfect answer. That's exactly what I was asking. Um, I want to bust some myths too. Um, some of the myths about newsboys are created by movies, by popular culture. Some of them are created by Broadway. Many of us have seen the show Newsies. Then there's also Epcot. I live in Tampa. The Ep- Epcot, when you go into the big round thing, there's a, the, one of the first sounds you hear is of a newsboy standing romantically on the street corner. Um, the portrayal is that it was this romantic business a business dominated by kids who saw themselves as loyal servants to American ingenuity. So is our perception of newsboys accurate? Well, I try to show in the book that they are not so much little capitalists, future presidents, moguls of of big companies, learning uh, to trade in a way that will serve them well on Wall Street, that that is uh, a, a, prevalent myth that's quite quite directly and intentionally uh, manufactured. Yes, yes, you can trace back certain presidents and certain uh, um, multimillionaires and who will talk about their first job. So there is, there is that sort of reality. But, but of course, when everybody is selling papers as a kid, all these working class kids, some are going to make it, you know, in the entertainment world, in the business world, in the, in the professions, and others are going to go to a sing sing. And so, and so that, that's the, that's the, uh, uh, the debate in the progressive era and the newspapers are saying, look at all these successful people who are newsboys. And the, and the reformers are saying, look at all the convicts who were newsboys. Uh, which which yeah. presidents became newsboys? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. The other way around. Yeah. The other way around. Which newsboys became president? Um, Hoover uh, comes to mind. He, he was uh, in, in the West, uh, Herbert Hoover. Um, uh, Teddy Roosevelt said he did it. He was a rich kid, but he said he did it for a while. I'm sure he was very loud and annoying when he was doing it. <laughs> yeah. um, um, according to the uh, circulation managers, International Circulation Managers Association, every newsboy since Lincoln except two or three were newsboys. Uh, and so, so the, the, uh, uh, it's the exceptions that you would have to find. Um, so this is, this is the myth, but what's not part of the myth is that they're also labor leaders. They're also, they're also activists. They're also radicals. Uh, and, they're, and, and most of them just you know, become part of the working class and they, and they take other sort of adult jobs. Uh, so that's what I try to situate them in this uh, away from that that myth and and into this into this working class milieu in which they are hustling for for work and that come to find out wage labor is not the only form of labor that that working people use to subs, uh, subsist and that they they're taking in borders they're they're giving lessons they're they're making baked goods they're doing all kinds of things in order to hustle so this 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 com- commerce aspect of being poor working class uh, is as prevalent, it was, was even more prevalent then than today, and it's still prevalent today. Yeah, and I was just going to say that there are a number of ways in which this story echoes very loudly to today's society. Why is it important for us to understand that the kids who were hawking papers are an example of how big business found a way to exploit the little guy? 
Well, yes, there's, there's, there is exploitation. What I say in my introduction, I try to be balanced, but that there's a thin line between exploitation and opportunity. So some of these children see this as an opportunity. They're bringing home money. They're putting coins in their mother's apron. That's buying milk and bread for that day. So that's, that's a kind of an opportunity that they, that they appreciate that the newspaper publishers think that they are, they are providing a good service. Uh, not to mention giving them banquets, having sports teams, bands, all these other uh, sort of philanthropic things they do for the kids, but just giving them work. Um, but what is exploitation? Exploitation is use for profit. And so these newspapers are definitely using their labor for profit. And they say, oh, well, you know, we just give, we're just doing a good service. Uh, but they fight, you know, uh, you know, like, like heck to uh, uh, combat any laws regulating their ages or hours and things like that. And they, and they sabotage others. Best way to, 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 uh, uh, to wipe out a rival or a, a new paper is to, is to, is to, you know, commandeer the boys, give them free copies and, 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 and make sure that, that the, the other paper does not have these, this, this labor supply uh, to help it. So that's, that's happened a lot as well. So newspapers are profiting and utilizing and, and engaging in all kinds of uh, scientific management practices and, and uh, uh, corporate welfare thing uh, 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 devices. Uh, they're, they're really leading the other, other industries in these methods of, of management and supervision. What mark did newsboys leave on our society? How can, in other words, if we look around at our society today, where do we see them still? I'll throw out a couple of things. Is it Twitter? Is it cable news? I mentioned that earlier. Is it just plain old entrepreneurial spirit? Well, the legacy of the newsboy shows up in many ways. First of all, many cities and you know have statues of newsboys, and they're also kind of sort of a nostalgic, backward-looking role. Uh, but it is that is it is that. Uh, a free enterprise, the free press. Uh, these they're symbols of these this economic system, this this uh, system of communication, uh, and so and so that legacy uh, lives on. Um, uh, in, in terms of providing the function, uh, yes, we have Twitter, we have uh, we have other forms, not human face to face sort of a, a transferal of, of information. Um, uh, but these uh, these children live on, I suppose. I mean, at one point, you know, people will not. What was a newsboy? Well, at one point, they might say, "What was a newspaper?" Um, so, so the the uh, the legacy might be uh, diminishing. But for me, I think the legacy is that um, that these children were part of uh, the culture. We're part of the labor system. We see, we see also in novels, in genre paintings, in photography, uh, whether it's Lewis Hine or, 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 or others, um, Jacob Rees, we see that this iconic figure is part of our uh, history of communication, history of city life, history of, uh, of, of, of labor in the United States. And so that's, that's the story. I want to tell and I want to, I want other workers today, whether they're distributing papers, again, non-unionized, uh, whether they're driving, uh, uh, you know, uh, taxi cabs uh, on a, on a, on a, on a uh, you know, they're, they're independent uh, merchants or entrepreneurs, they're not employees. That's in some ways, that's the legacy of these kids as well. The, the, the fact that they're not, uh, they're not defined as employees and they're not entitled to uh, labor rights, whether it's, whether it's social security and what, what have you. And so, so in some ways that kind of uh, uh, 
uh, labor system is is still alive and well and growing. This 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 what do you call uh, the gig um, economy? Gig, so the, I, the yeah. gig economy, exactly. So I, I was going to ask, who are today's newsboys? Um, is there a parallel? I was thinking maybe it's Amazon workers because they go through and they take a product. You know, really, w- when you buy from Amazon, you're sort of buying Amazon. You're barely even buying the product anymore. Um, who are today's newsboys? Well. The newspapers are still delivered, and they are delivered by adults. I mean, I went, I went to the a depot in Long Island, and I uh, assisted my nephew, and I and I delivered for uh, a week while he was in uh, on vacation. And they are uh, like the newsboys of the past in that they are immigrants. There were many, many languages spoken. Uh, in that in that d- depot, and some of them brought their children to help on weekends as well. Um, so they are they they are um, you don't n- need to be really hired. You you go there, you have your route, you own your route, and you and you uh, uh, you don't need to speak English. So in that sense, there's a lot of continu- continuity. But there are also military veterans and, and retirees who can't really make it on their pensions or their social security. Uh, so they are the uh, uh, the lower working class and and, and the new immigrants today if you could build and I've asked this question a few times in the show but it just seems to work and, and the the authors we interview on here seem to like it um, so I want to ask it to you if you could build a memorial to newsboys um, what would it look like where would it be if there could be like a you know a monument a national memorial to the newsboy where would you put it what would it look like how would you design it well that's a that's a good question. Uh, there, there, there was, there was one at the Smithsonian. It was a, it was a carving of, of uh, Barney Williams, the first newsboy. Uh, that was his stage name, uh, and uh, and that stood for years. Uh, but um, so the Smithsonian is a, is an interesting place to have a, a, a tribute. Um, there are not a lot of, of working class or labor labor monuments throughout the country. Um, I don't know, maybe Newspaper Row in New York to have a, a statue. And there, there were, again, there were statues that were that were moved and re- uh, removed. Um, but you could also have a, a monument. I think, you know, the monument to newsboys would probably be a scholarship. Scholarship for young, hungry workers that, uh, and there were scholarships as well. These these newsboy unions would, would, would have newsboy scholarships. They got into Harvard. They got into MIT. Uh, and and so that's a that's a legacy, and that uh, you know Theodore White, you know Theodore White, the great journalist, he got a a, a scholarship, uh, and so and, and other people. So that's a that's a way of sort of memorializing and sharing the wealth of uh, newspapers and what have you. And so I would do a scholarship. What do we lose in our society without having a youngster on every corner or on every other corner? screaming out the news, crying the news, and trying to sell us a newspaper? Well, what we lose, we lose things we want to lose. We lose, we lose children getting crippled, children getting mugged, children getting sexually abused. We lo- there is a reality, children not having opportunities to, to go to school or not exercising with limited opportunities they have. So there were, there were good that, things to lose. There were good things to lose. Um, but you also lose, I think, a, a, an autonomy, an early sense of, of, of being uh, a contributor to society, 
children knowing what's going on in the in the city before the adults do, um, and and trading on that knowledge in various ways, uh, not just selling the papers, but in terms of their conversation um, and their connections with other people. So there's not this 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 artificial childhood youth where you're cut off from world. These children are in uh, the streets. They're in the they're in the newspaper office. They go into saloons. They go uh, into into the uh, streetcars. Um, Sometimes they go into brothels, and they, but they're part and parcel of the adult uh, culture and, and entertainment industry and what have you. And so I think that kind of childhood creates a kind of pre uh, precociousness, a kind of uh, um, uh, savvy that is not bad. And we're talking my parents, my father, my uncle, they had, they had that kind of and they were they were they were wise. I was just going to ask about them. the uh, The thing I miss the most about the newsboy is the act of buying the newspaper. I like that transaction. The the two quarters plunking it down, the sound it makes. They put it into their thing. They hand you the newspaper. The sound, the feel, and then you feel like you're buying something important. You're buying a document that tells you what happened the day before. What a wonderful thing and wonderful experience that just simply, I don't want to say it doesn't exist anymore, but it is much less common and much more rare. And another thing, you can feel the philanthropist yourself. If your new seller is an older woman, if it's, if it's a person with one leg, if it's a little, a little, ragged kid you could you're doing something good for this for this uh, ambitious uh, enterprising kid as well as informing yourself and so so those those uh, um, interactions also had that element as, as well you dedicated the book to your family you just mentioned them Andrew and George and the beginning of the book has a picture of them selling newspapers uh, I think or maybe they're being uh, harassed by a policeman or something like that how did you find that picture and had it been in your family for a long time or did you come upon it while you were researching? Uh, I could never locate it and see what newspaper it was from. It was some either Somerville, Massachusetts or Boston. Uh, and it was in the, it, the clipping was in the family. Uh, my, one of my aunts had it. And it is a picture 1931, I believe they are what, four or five years old and they're running, they're runaways and they are running to California. My grandfather moved to California for the fishing and the family sort of, followed piecemeal. So they were running off to California and the picture is of a detective interviewing them. So they're, they got their little scared faces and they're really tiny tots. But that at that age, they were selling papers. They were uh, giving money to their, to their mother. Uh, those two were, were two of 13 children. Um, and so like a lot of immigrant uh, um, families, uh, their children worked. And so that's, and so I grew up with their stories and I wanted to use that picture uh, as, a, as a kind of a tribute to them. Vincent D. Girolamo, author of Crying the News, A History of America's Newsboys. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Certainly check out that book and his Twitter feed at Vincent D. Giral 3. His website is vincentdgirolamo.com. There's going to be a link to both of those in our show notes if you want to click on them. I want to invite listeners to our Patreon page to ask for your support in keeping the show going. Go to patreon.com slash History. We're going to donate part of your contributions to a charity for children's literacy. How appropriate for a show on Newsboys. And thank you for listening to Axelbank Reports, History, and Today, Conversations with America's top nonfiction authors and why their books matter right now. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Axelbank History. 
We update those with clips from the show, guest announcements, and book recommendations. See you next time. Thanks.